Hey tryhards, Ethan here. Before we get into the show today, I want to talk to you guys about Patreon. Patreon is a donation service, a monthly subscription service where you donate money to me to support the show, to support uh, the growth of it, whether that means merchandise or more podcasts or other things of that nature. And I would really appreciate if you guys would be willing and able to give just a little bit of whatever extra money you may have. Because while the show will always be free for everyone to listen, um, the way to make it isn't. And I'm in college, and things are expensive. So I'd appreciate any little amount that you're able to give. So thank you for donating, and thank you even more for listening. Hello, my name is Ethan Eulen. Like you, I live a world that never stops moving. Also like you, I have stories. These are my stories. The true stories of a tryhard. Welcome back to True Stories of a Tryhard. I'm Ethan Hewlin, and this week it is part two of my Black Spaces and White Spaces conversation with my aunt, Dr. Tracy Connor. So if you haven't checked out part one yet, I would highly recommend you do. You're probably going to be lost. Um, or if you don't want to, that's fine. You can go check it out later. But I would highly recommend that you check out part one. And without further ado, let's jump right back in. Yeah, I uh, actually watched a movie that came out two years ago, I think, called Sorry to Bother You, mm-hmm. about people in a, a call center. Um, who have to use their, their quote, white voice, <laughs> is that people being forced to correct to standardized American English? Is that what that means? Yeah, so I would be, um, I definitely wouldn't use the term correct because that's one of those um, terms that um, may make the variety sound like a, a deficit. Um, like there is a standard when really okay. there's, um, just a convention for use. So for instance, um, if we, you could say the same thing like in, in rap, so to speak, we might have more of like a standardized, if somebody was rapping and using like a standard sounding, you know, language, it might seem out of place. So I, I guess correct might be the case. You know, the the language of that genre is is something different. Maybe I should, maybe I should rephrase. Um, force themselves into speaking standardized American English as opposed to speaking African American English the way they would normally speak. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think you're you're hitting on something really important. This um, need to quote unquote assimilate to be able to access certain opportunities in a society that really values this variety. So yeah, there's definitely that push. Although. Um, although it could be changing um, based on the environment. Um, but yeah, I think that movie is really profound. With, you know, it just shows that um, as much as we thought that skin color was the end all be all of where you know, racial prejudice could lie, that language is also a space uh, where people are categorized and sometimes marginalized. Absolutely. Did you like that movie? I did. I, I really enjoyed it. It was, um, it was one of, is again one of the things that kind of got me thinking more about the way I see the world and how 
and uh, what people do or what people are willing to do in order to be more appealing to others now they force themselves to change right and i love that you know it's a universal experience you know kind of having to navigate different environments but how it's particularly challenging for black folks in in this society and what it means not only to adopt those patterns but also to feel like maybe you can't use what's natural to you and how that affects your you know sense of self i think it's also interesting that you know not all african americans speak african american english or or, uh, or use it to the same extent so um that's also something to explore you know and something that i find is relevant to those black kids who grew up in white spaces too like um what is it like to you know be the token in that space but also in a say a black space to be told oh you sound white so that's an experience i definitely had growing up in kansas i think my sisters would share that experience at least tatum and andrea would they were not exposed to a lot of black culture growing up because they had white parents and probably up until my mom and Caesar got married, they really hadn't had much exposure at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's gotta be challenging. Cause I know it was a challenge for me and I grew up with black parents. I grew up with my mom who would, you know, get a phone call and, you know, I would, I could tell who she was talking to based on, you know, whether she was saying, here's brand central Sharon Connor, or um, if she was saying like, Oh, granny, don't do this. You know, if she was using more of, you know, what I would consider African-American English. And so um, I realized that that is the lingua franca between me and my mom, though I usually use some kind of standardized variety other places, but um, there's more of a, more of a lean towards African-American English when I speak with my mom. Would you say that, you're leaning more towards standard when you talk to me or my mom or any of her family? I think for the most part, I, um, I'm not consciously code shifting. Um, but I am, I think I typically have more of a standard variety, but it does change again, based on who I'm talking to. So you, you might be right. If I'm talking to, um, black folk who I know, speak African-American English or we have an understanding, um, it's more likely that I would be comfortable um, in speaking it. And here it would just be kind of strange. I don't even know if I could. I tried to. My B example was really, it was strange, like phonologically. (laughs) That's just something I was curious about because I don't know if it's a conscious thing or an unconscious thing. Yeah, I, I think for some people it's very conscious, um, but it just depends on, you know, how you've grown up, what your language variety is to begin with, where you are and who you're talking to. I'm wondering, um, do you think my brother speaks in a different way? Like, do you think he has patterns of African-American English that you've heard? Not that I've, I didn't really pick up on anything, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I've known him for nine years at this point. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just because I've been around him mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, he grew up in Texas uh, and I believe probably in a predominantly black school district. So, you know, that's very, very different than my experience. Um, but of course he's been in the corporate world for a long time. When you engage with him, you know, you're a white person, your mom's a white person. Um, so yeah, even when I talk with him, I think he's still pretty standard. Although when he raps. That, oh that yeah. Really <laughs> still gotta get him to the voice. <laughs> he does do that a lot. He's so good. He would he totally have a following. He would if he really wanted to. Even if he just started an Instagram page and just put his little raps on there. Even just yeah, for yeah, just when he's walking around the house, you know, he'll have his little little mm-hmm. things that he raps to himself. And even I know them now because <laughs> like how some people sing to themselves, he'll rap to himself. I think that's one thing that's so beautiful about black culture is we've always taken lemons and made like fantastic lemonade. Like look at this pandemic. What are black people doing? They're dancing in the street. They're making TikTok mm-hmm. videos that, you know, they're singing at protests. Um, there's always this merrymaking and joy, black joy that comes even, I think it's even as a result of the sorrow, like the joy, you know, it's like pressing a grape to get the wine that, that joy is that beautiful wine that happens after the pressing of this, you know, being black in this society. So that's one thing I just so love about black culture. Um, just the expressiveness of it and that we. Yeah, we as a people are joyful and positive despite it all, right? Yeah, and that's actually one thing that I really have enjoyed in my limited experience visiting black, predominantly black churches is that their music tends to be a lot more upbeat and a lot more joyful than at a church like mine, which is predominantly white, which has a lot more it's a lot slower and a lot more uh, sometimes sad, but <laughs> you know, it in the probably two dozen times I've been to a predominantly black church as I can remember, uh, I always had a great time being there because their worship was so joyful. You know, like the Bible says, make a joyful noise. That is what comes to mind when I think of that. Mm. Yeah, how you can, like, within Black culture, there's an expectation of um, response. Like, even when you just hear a sermon, there's, you know, the, the back and forth, call and response of it all, right? Um, but when, when music is played, there is an expectation of movement or clapping. And, you know, I can't say it's, the same in all black churches because some are very conservative but um but i love that about black church um the expectation i guess it's almost like an expectation of extra extroversion i would want to say that white culture is more bent towards um knowledge and intellect and so teaching and whereas black culture so like more um introverted kind of pursuits black culture like an expectancy of extroversion. Um, it's just a pet theory. 
that's something I hadn't really thought about. It's like you have me, who's the son of two introverts, who has been introverted pretty much his whole life, a computer science major, so already there's some preconceived notions with that, of me being more introverted by nature, which, you know, some some stereotypes have basis in truth, so yes, I am more introverted by nature, but I can still be around people, I still like people. But yeah, that's, I hadn't noticed that before. And to some extent, um, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, um, some black folks, even introverted black folks are trained to be extroverted um, because society kind of always demands, you know, extra from black folks, you know, the whole adage, you have to be twice as good to get, you know, half as much. And so if you walk into a store, kind of low energy, um, you get one kind of response versus like, hi, how are you doing? Oh, that's great. Have a good day. You want to make sure that you're not, you know, seen as a threat or anything like that. I know this is a way my parents have led in the world just to, you know, they might see somebody staring, maybe, as you said, daggers, they would always address them. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, it's so great to see you. I hope you're doing well. And that kind of dispels a lot of, um, you know, it, at least for that moment, it puts down any kind of guard that might have been up and maybe softens their heart towards people of color. So I've always kind of took that to heart just to be, be a light, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I actually saw a TikTok the other day of a, a guy who was talking about his thoughts as he's going into a store. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't find this thing he's looking for, he still buys something anyway. So mm. that way people don't think he's stealing something, which just hurts me because like, if I do that, nobody's going to think anything of it. Right. That's life. I've always wanted to do kind of pet experience experiments. Like if I, I go into a store and I find the person's kind of cold, oof, I got to send my white friend in and see how this works. You know, what, um, what would that be like to have, you know, a really great makeup artist to, you know, someone going in black and then going in white and seeing what the difference is. I know they had a show like that um, in the nineties ice cube. It's, it, I think it was, I can't remember something black and white, but. I wasn't born, so I don't know. I don't think anybody saw this show. It was it was on for like three weeks randomly in the nineties. No, hmm. was I? I was cognizant. I guess I was cognizant in the nineties. But yeah, so they took a white family and they outfitted them with prosthetics and different things and made them black. You know, basically kind of, you know, hmm. modern day blackface. Not not blackface, but you know, they just used makeup to make them appear black, and then they used makeup on the black folks to make them appear white and then let them experience the world walking in whiteness or blackness. And that was, it was really interesting. Um, it was a really interesting experiment. Maybe I'll send you the link. Yeah. If, if you could find that, that would be, that'd be wonderful. And if, if you do find it, I'll, I'll link it down below if people can watch it. So do you think your listeners um, are, are just interested to, learn about just black culture in general like i would like to think so um because people have um because of what's been happening recently people have been a lot more attentive to the um the problem 
the uh, problems that black people have been experiencing for hundreds of years now. Mm -hmm. And even within the past 50 years, because, you know, if you think about it, we haven't been integrated for that long. Like it was 1965 or 1968 when the civil rights act was passed. And even then we weren't desegregated immediately. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say, Oh, things have gotten so much better. Um, a lot of other people would say that, you know, given the time span, things have just morphed. So, you know, abject racism. Oh, I'm not hiring you because you're black turns into, I'm not hiring them because, you know, the way they spoke was, you know, they, they didn't conjugate their verbs and we need somebody who's articulate in this position. Right. Is it more of an overt versus covert kind of deal? Like, it's not socially acceptable, but there's ways where you can do like some um, verbal gymnastics to justify it. Right. And I think those people don't even know what they're doing. You know, it's these implicit biases we have that, you know, one form of English is better than the other form of English. Um, and it's something that's just kind of baked into the fabric of our society and general type of anti-Blackness. And so I think there's a light being shown on that, which is why they've, you know, not only is Black Lives Matter, you know, necessary and relevant, not just for issues of, you know, police brutality, but also just, you know, understanding that black hair, black skin, black, you know, black bodies, you know, have a right and have a right to be celebrated, you know, have a right to um, take their place. So I'm excited about the changes, um, but at the same time, um, yeah, we just got to keep moving forward. Absolutely. Do you think that we have come farther since then? What do you mean then? Like civil rights? Like, 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 like I'm specifically talking about since the civil rights movement. I, I do believe that there is a big shift right now, um, that there are black and brown people who are, well, black people who are in positions of power um, now that are beginning to be black and brown people who weren't forced to or did not necessarily assimilate. So I do believe, you know, um, one of the kind of responses to, you know, is there still racism for some who maybe aren't well versed in it or is, you know, well, Obama was president, right? You've got these kind of tokens in these high places, Oprah. Um, and uh, even different CEOs, um, and that kind of tokenization is, it's a distraction in some ways, because, you know, I've heard it said like this, when a mediocre Black person is like CEO of something, then we'll really know <laughs> that there is change. <laughs> you know, there's this narrative of exceptionalism that, you know, still happens for Black people. Um, and then also the types of Black people that tend to be put as heads of things tend to be a, a certain type of black person who kind of has assimilated in a way and has ideologies that are, that might also be in some ways a little bit anti-black or at least one that really supports, you know, white culture um, or, you know, white sensibilities, um, ideas about language and dress and professionalism. And so I think now, particularly with the rise of, you know, more entrepreneurship and, you know, 
being able to have your own brand on platforms like Instagram or TikTok, YouTube, um, I think a lot more types of blackness is represented and th that is gonna give way to kind of the new era. Um, as you can be yourself, you can manage yourself um, instead of having to rely on these systems to, um, to have a platform. Yeah. And, you know, back in the, back in the day, meaning six years ago, um, I used to think that racism didn't exist because, you know, I had black sisters. There were people who lived in my neighborhood that were black. And I thought, you know, it was the I have black friends thing, but, yeah. and I thought, you know, because I know them and I'm friendly with them that, you know, there's there's nothing wrong here but up until up until probably 2014 that that was my thought process I just wasn't aware mm -hmm. what really kind of woke me up to that was um, Michael Brown's death mm-hmm mm -hmm. I still remember watching it in my eighth grade American history class, the the news from the previous night. And that was really where I started to question my views about the world because that's where I first met someone who was openly bisexual. And you know that it's it's kind of odd how much I really owe to um, that specific class and what was taught there. Mm -hmm. And speaking of which, I remember that there's a lot of Black history that has been left out. Mm -hmm. Like, too much. Like, I learned two weeks ago that Harriet Tubman was a general in the Union Army. <laughs> two weeks ago. I went to public school for 12 years, and not once was any mention of that brought up. Mm -hmm. Black History Month is, you know, Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream, part one, two, three, up through 12th grade, um, and Rosa Parks. Are you familiar with Claudette Colvin? That was another one. Another, she was another one that I found out recently about. Mm -hmm. I did too. I mean, I had to watch Drunk History to find out about Claudette Colvin. So, Right, and how the the movement didn't think she was a good candidate because she was 15 and had sex out of wedlock and they didn't think that that would be a good representation for them right and dark skin too it's colorism yep. it, you know can make or break your movement <laughs> unfortunately yeah so i mean it's it's great that you have this podcast where you're really engaging um with these questions and talking with um with black people about their experiences particularly for christian audiences i'm not sure what your audience is like but um for Christians, I think that is one space where the race question has really been eluded, um, dodged. Um, I try I to, uh -huh. sorry, sorry. I wouldn't even say swept under the rug because I don't think it's, you know, it's already under the rug. <laughs> it's not visible. Yeah, I. the reason I started the show was to 
um, speak of about mental health. Starting with me, because I've noticed that in that discussion, men aren't really comfortable coming forward. Mm. And with everything that's been happening, my goal has been to hear as many different perspectives as possible. So being able to hear from these different people has been very eye-opening for me. And I am using my platform as someone who has never had a Supreme Court case decide whether I have rights or not to expose people who are still ignorant. Yeah, it's a really great opportunity to, you know, allow yourself to engage and be open as others are being open and to share that with the world. So I'm, re I'm really proud of you. I'm excited for you. Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> so as we're, um, as we're wrapping up, Tracy, do you have any encouraging words for listeners of color who may not feel like they are welcome? I would say, as if I were saying it to myself as a, you know, the brown face in a white space, um, like 10 or nine, um, that you are, you is smart. <laughs> you is, what is it? You is. I think it's you is kind, you is smart, you is important. Yeah, but, but it's, it's true. Like your perspective is so important. Um, whole TV shows and books and things are written just about the things you go through daily, you, your life is a, a platform. Um, and that being the youest you you can be is what will not only bring you joy, but it's what the world needs. And not to, not to lose that, to discover that fully. It really makes me think of this um, Instagram star, maybe she's a TikTok star, but Tabitha Brown. I love Tabitha Brown. Yeah. So she wanted to be an actress for so long. And of course, in Hollywood, the beauty standards are what? White. <laughs> They're, you know, straight hair, light skin, you know, white, white, white. Um, but how she has maintained, you know, her accent. I love it. I think she's from South Carolina, North Carolina. One, one of the lioness, I think. Um, but how she's maintained her variety. Um, she's loving her hair. And her family, you know, her blackness, and this is the platform. Like she is able to be her full and complete self. Um, and that is what the world loves. That is what brings her joy and, and, you know, edifies everybody else. So yeah, I just tell other folks of color, be the USG, you, even if people don't understand it, because maybe in 20 years, you'll be a YouTube star. You never know. It could be in three years. <laughs> Tracy, do you have anything you would like to plug? Oh, that's a good question. Well, there is a symposium happening. It's um, the second annual African-American language symposium. It's happening at the end of August and it's happening through Zoom. So this is a collection of linguists who study black language and culture from all across the country. And um, 
I do believe you can register online. I'm just pulling it up here. But yeah, I think learning about Black language and culture is a really great gateway for people just interested in studying, interested in learning more about Black culture. So Wonderful. Um, do you want people to find you on social media? Sure. If you want to find me on social media, I am at salt in light, S-A-L-T-N-L-I-T-E, and also uh, worship underscore in the wild, where I post um, pictures of me in movement, enjoying the world, and I share um, what God has put on my heart about his creation. Wonderful. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in this week to True Stories of a Tryhard. You can find me on Instagram at ethan.t.hewlin. You can find me on Twitter at etphonehome. These are z- the O's are zeros and the E's are threes. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at True Stories Pod. The best way to get the word out about podcasts is via word of mouth and social media. So please, please, please share this with your friends, share it on your social media. And if you post it in some way and tag me, you will get featured on the official podcast accounts. And please feel free to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I would very much appreciate it. I'll be back with more stories next week. So until then, this is Ethan Hewlin and Tracy Connor signing off. Mm-hmm.